secret location in room 100 of 540 Jack Gibbs Boulevard, this is Craft. I'm your host, Doug Dangler. My guest today is nationally syndicated columnist Connie Schultz. Schultz won a 2005 Pulitzer Prize for commentary for her work with the Cleveland Plain Dealer. She teaches journalism at Kent State University and is the author of two books, including And His Lovely Wife, a memoir from the woman beside the man, which details her relationship with her husband, Senator Sherrod Brown. Schultz will be in Columbus on January 13th at a reception with Progress Ohio. Welcome to Craft, Connie Schultz. Thank you. You have a column at creators.com that frequently examines your life and politics. Uh, <laughs> what makes something interesting for you to write about? Well, I guess I would just say life that unfolds in front of me often. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know as a fellow journalist, it, your mind never isn't working. And when you're a columnist, that is particularly true. I think um, Reston had the best definition I ever heard of column writing. It's when you sit under the windmill and you get hit in the head and you think, ah, glad that's over. And it keeps coming and coming. (laughs) (laughs) You have to keep writing, right? So your mind is trained to look for stories and to look for, and I'm an eavesdropper. I don't know a journalist who isn't. If we're sitting in a coffee shop and we Mm -hmm. hear an interesting conversation, we're going to start listening, right? Um, (laughs) So I, of course, get ideas just from navigating the world at large. Uh, but also, I follow the news very closely. Um, and politics, I was long involved with politics as a journalist before I ever met Sherrod, my husband, and I was raised in a union family. So really, my interest in politics began there as a working class kid in Nashville, Ohio. So I'm never short of material, okay. which is probably how I should have answered it. <laughs> and if you are, you just go to the coffee shop with a listening device and just... <laughs> right. And look, innocent and harmless, which I basically do. I, right, yeah. you know, I'm a middle-aged white woman sitting there. And I'm a grandmother of five, and I don't really look threatening to anybody, which really works for me so right. often. Good, good. I'll, I'll be on the lookout from now on when I'm in coffee shops <laughs> for the people that uh, you really need to be suspicious about. How far in advance do you plan columns? Oh, uh, seldom. And I mean, you know, well, I shouldn't say that. I mean, occasionally what happens is I have an idea, and it needs a few weeks to grow. I have to do a lot of reporting. Uh, I have to think about it. You know, I have to sort my thoughts. Often... I get up on the day it's due, my call and my file on Wednesdays, and I, I went, you know, I go to bed thinking one of three topics. I'm going to, I already have, I'm sorting through the topics, and I wake up that morning and it just hits me. I mean, I'm a big believer in letting the mind rest, uh, well, sleeping, if you can, right. uh, because the mind will keep working for you. So uh, then it's a, a long day of reporting um, right now because when I go back to teaching in this semester, I'll be teaching on Wednesdays, I'll start the reporting on Tuesday often. Um, sometimes earlier than that, depending on how much is required for direct interviews. Okay. So when you're teaching now and writing the column at the same time, how does that influence what you talk to your students about? How often do you come up with a topic and think, man, I need to go back to my students and really fill them in on this new thing I've learned because of this column that I'm currently writing? I would say that is more often happening because of something I've read. I read a lot of different news sites every morning and throughout the day, and I get a lot of news alerts. And I, um, for example, in my feature writing course, which I will now be teaching for the third time, I never require textbooks. We use work um, that is currently being published a lot. I'm a feature writer at heart, uh, so that's not hard for me to do. And I also use fine writing from the past of other writers. Uh, In opinion writing, which I taught just this past semester, um, I finally shared only uh, my columns that won the Pulitzer, and we did it only, I don't like to use my own material in class much, but we did it because I wanted to talk to them about, it's 10 columns, how did I come up with those ideas? Because I find that when you're teaching young journalists 
how to write opinion. First of all, you're teaching them a lot about reporting still, and especially when it's editorial writing, which was the first part of the class. And then um, you, the, the, so execution is part of it, but a lot of the challenge often is just how do you come up with an idea? And so uh, I use that. I don't use my own columns in class because I'm, I'm sure it's no secret to anybody, I'm a progressive, I'm a liberal, I always have been. I make it very clear at the beginning of the semester in both my classes that if ever anyone feels my politics is interfering with my ability to teach them how to be journalists, they should say something to me, and if they don't feel comfortable with that, go directly to the director of the school. Um, because I do think it's important for me to keep that separate. How often does that happen? Um, how many times do people, have, have they mentioned that to you as a, an instructor, that um, they felt something about the political views that you have? I've never had it happen yet. Okay. Um, I'm very, I, I, I'm personally proud, probably more than I need to be, that a couple students who I identified as quite conservative uh, took a second class from me because they felt I was, you know, they thought they were learning and they thought I was fair. Um, I just think transparency is really important. And I, that's why I make no secret of, you know, my Facebook page is public. It's a personal page, but it's public. I think we just crossed over to 168,000 followers. And I don't mean that as a brag. I mean it, I'm just accessible and people know that. And I post about shared occasionally, but it's usually about our home life. Um, because I just feel that's the way, for me as a columnist married to a U.S. senator, um, who, and I still have very strong views, always have, and that's the way for me to be as transparent as possible and still do this job well. Okay. Um, the two questions that arise for me out of that are, um, first, what kind of impact does being married to Senator Sherrod Brown have on your co- columns in terms of, or have there ever been things that you weren't able to share because you had uh, overheard them at, at a sensitive time? And I'm not asking for those things. I'm just curious about no, I how that what you're asking. functions. That just hasn't really been um, a quandary for me. What I do sometimes have to avoid writing about are issues where he is front and center with legislation. I don't touch those because I do want to avoid that conflict. Um, Sherrod never sees a column I've written before it is already published by creators online and before it's distributed to the newspapers. And, you know, many of them actually get it before Sherrod sees it. Uh, And I do that to keep our lines clear. He's never asked otherwise. He has never once in our almost 13 years of marriage ever asked me not to write about something. He he wouldn't do that. I don't tell him how to vote, although I certainly give him my opinion about issues. He knows them. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and he would never, ever attempt to tell me what to write about anything. And And that's just important for me to know for myself every day as I sit down at my desk that I can't be worried about any impact on Sherrod in terms of people getting angry with him for something I'm going to write, because to some extent that's true for any columnist with a spouse, right? If the people know who that person is married to. And in my case, everything's public. I mean, we are a public couple. We understand that. And, mm-hmm. But we're also a private marriage. And I, I know the difference. The other side of that is you write a lot about family. And yes. you wrote about such things as what your children were going to be for Halloween. Tell me about how your, your kids respond to that. Is that like, uh, it's just something they know about and they know that people are going to know that they were something uh, specific for Halloween? Is that something you, that's a negotiation because they're um, not in the spotlight in the way that uh, you and your husband are? Well, I think you, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, are you referring to a recent column about my grandchildren? Oh, grandchildren, sorry. Yes, yes, they that's were all right. Look, I make that distinction for a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, I don't use their last names, and they're very young yet. So, mm-hmm. um, and I don't identify who their parents are, so it's not easy. It, in fact, I don't anymore, almost never post photos, uh, face 
school photos of my grandchildren on Facebook for reasons I'd rather not get into, but it just became very obvious to me that that was not a good strategy. In terms of writing about my children's lives, when they reached a certain age, when I was writing, because I did a lot of personal essays before I became a columnist, I would ask their permission. And I, I love this story about my daughter. She's not as fond of it. <laughs> She's um, 29. And when my first book came out with Random House, it was a collection of my columns after I had won the Pulitzer, and it was divided into different categories. And there was a chapter about my daughter, but there was also a chapter about my courtship with marriage with Sharon. And she's looking at the book, and she said, you know, Mom, I can't help but notice that Sherrod's chapter is longer than mine. And I said, yes, that would be because as a teenager, you vetoed so many of the ones I wanted to write. <laughs> so she was living with the quantifiable evidence that I had listened to her. But you raise an important point. When you're writing about your life, you do have to be careful that you're not dragging others in it without their permission. And that's as true of my close friends that I often write about, not often, but occasionally. And certainly when I was writing a lot about marriage equality and gay rights. Uh, I wrote about a, one couple in particular, very dear friends of ours, and I um, would seek their permission regularly before writing about them. Okay. And two final things that I'm curious about. You've written a lot lately about Donald Trump. Um, what kind of reactions have you gotten from the columns? Because um, my take on writing about Trump is that you can be subjected to a great deal of abuse from his followers. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting timing, your question, because something I, I just uh, said to a friend this morning, this has not happened before, well, not in a long time. I do write about Donald Trump a lot. I think he's a dangerous man. I think we've elected a sexual predator to be president, an admitted sexual predator. Uh, so we can start with that. Um, so I've written a lot about him. I wrote a column this week um, addressing his claim that, I mean, basically he said on Twitter that anybody who wasn't with him is his enemy, and that makes an awful lot of Americans the enemy of the next president of the United States. And I wrote a column that has the headline, at least at creators, we are not the enemy. I expected the usual round of hate mail. I mean, it, it's relentless. It never ends. You know, that's, I'm sorry, it's repeating myself. It's relentless, right? And it's um, some of the worst stuff I've seen in a while. But this morning, I'm getting email from readers around the country thanking me, they, they often feel like lonely liberals in their areas of the country, or they feel like even though they have, know a lot of liberals, they didn't feel like they could really express how angry they've been feeling and how frustrated they have. And they've been thanking me for this particular column. I would never have expected that. And I'm trying to respond to as many as I can. I, I, I just I can't respond to all reader mail. I wish I could, but it's just not possible. But I've taken more time than usual this morning to do so because I just want to let them know that I, mean, I don't want them to give up. I don't want them to surrender to despair. And how much it means to people like me to hear some positive things from people, because you're right, we will get the onslaught, and they're often very organized. You get shared on a particular blog, and they say, go at her, and then you just get flooded. Mm -hmm. Okay. You'll be in Columbus on January 13th for the 2016 Progressive Hero Award presented by Progress Ohio. Tell me about uh, receiving this award and some of the background to it. Well, I was... Done. I mean, I was speechless at first, which I noted yesterday on social media, my kids would immediately want me to say, yeah, well, that was a very temporary state. But I was. <laughs> I just had no idea it was coming. I feel such a, I, I, I guess the way I look at it is may I earn the honor, because um, when you get an honor for like this, what I think, I forget the exact wording, but it, it really, um, how do I say this? I, I have to be a progressive. I'm probably going to say this at the uh, night at the reception. I, I am a progressive out of gratitude, 
Um, and I've written about this over the years. You know, I grew up in a union family where we learned that we learned who was on your side. We learned the power of organizing, that when you come from the working class, for example, you don't have power as individuals. You have power as a group. You have to organize. And I'm a liberal because my dad had great union benefits that saved my life twice with asthma when I was whisked by ambulance from Ashtabula to the Cleveland Clinic um, because my condition was so bad at the time. But we, had the, we could afford the treatment that saved my life. And because of the feminist movement, my columns run on the op-ed pages of newspapers across the country, not in some women's section. You know, the old women's section, remember those? I don't know how old you are, but I certainly remember them. Mm -hmm. And so I I give those as some examples. Um, And also just, you know, I went to school on grants and and low-interest student loans. I graduated from Kent State University, the first in my family to go to college, with less than $3,000 in debt at the end. So, and that, those were government policies that helped me. So how could, to me, it seems obvious that I would have to be a, a progressive, a liberal. Otherwise, I would be rebuking my roots and disrespecting all that my parents did. They both died in their 60s to, to make sure all their children went to college and had better lives. So as you can, I, I'm feeling rather emotional about it, as you can tell. I don't mm-hmm. usually, I mean, it's always an honor to, to be recognized for your work. This one feels very personal. Connie Schultz, I thank you very much for talking to me today on Craft and look forward to you being in Columbus on January 13th with Progress Ohio. Have a great day. Thank you, and you, Doug. Thanks so much. For more information from my guests, visit www.crafttheshow.com. This is Doug Dangler. Until next time, be creative.